It is Friday, the 12th of July, 2019. My name is Jeremy Medlin, and welcome to episode 48 of the Stock Market Movers podcast. Just a reminder that nothing that I say today should be considered financial advice. And if you're looking for financial advice, please speak to an authorised financial advisor. So we've got a longer than normal episode this week, and I do ramble on for longer than normal, so I apologise in advance. What has happened is that I've been flat out busy this week and I didn't get any chance to do any prep for the episodes. So what I've done is I, I actually, on Monday night, I did a, a presentation um, for a, a share group that I've um, part of and I did it on AWF Madison. So I'll run through basically my notes on AWF because I'd already done the work and I might post them on the blog later as well so you can see the sort of thing I was, things I was looking at. Then I'll, I'll talk about Michael Hojula. This is one that I do just off the cuff reading the announcements as I go and you might hear me clicking between screens and umming and ahhing and stuff like that so I, I do apologise in advance. Then finally I talk about PaySource and I do the same thing, just read the information on the screen and talk about it without really any planning and just as I see it at the time and, and what comes to my mind. So again, apologise for ums and ahs and I apologise as, as maybe meant a longer episode than normal because when I'm doing it a bit more scripted, I'm, I'm probably a bit more disciplined whereas now I'm just literally just doing it off the cuff. Anyway, so you might also enjoy that as well but we'll get straight, we'll get straight into it. So AWF Madsen Group Limited, I don't think I've ever spoken about them on the podcast before. They trade on the NZX under the ticker code AWF. Now, the AWF may give it away. That's the, I guess, the where you may have been most familiar of the company. So AWF, I guess, is the, the new way they call Allied Workforce, which is the, I guess, the, the name that you probably have the most brand recognition with. Um, I'll, I'll get to what they do in a moment, although Allied Workforce may have given it away. So the market cap for AWF at $1.70 a share, which was the last traded price at time of recording, is $57.6 million and is 33.8 million shares outstanding. The company pays a, a reasonably large dividend. They seem to pay a, a dividend of $0.8.2 cents per share for the interim and eight point. I think eight cents a share, maybe for the final. I could have got that wrong, but anyway, sixteen point two cents per share. So obviously, at one dollar seventy per share, per share, suddenly you've got a a, a dividend of of nine and a half percent, which is interesting, especially in a current market where interest rates are extremely low. So typically, if you're seeing a a dividend at nine and a half percent, what that's probably telling you is one of two things: either the market thinks that that dividend is not sustainable and it will get cut or the market and this is just in a low interest rate environment if if interest rates were eight percent for example you'd probably see a lot of dividends up at that sort of level um or the market is saying okay um something has gone wrong with the company recently they've come into some headwinds and we're valuing the company at a nine and a half percent dividend yield and the reason why i thought i'd talk about awf this week was not because there was any news with the company or any material news with the company. The The reason I thought I'd talk about them is because um, I'm part of a little share group in, in Auckland and we and we met and that was one of the companies I, I talked about. So uh, just sort of recycling the information from that meeting, if that makes sense. So what do they do? They're a re- recruitment group. Um, they have four main business lines, AWF, which is Allied Workforce, they provide sort of blue-collar recruitment services across New Zealand. So you're looking at things like construction, transport, engineering, manufacturing, that sort of stuff. Madsen, which 
medicine or however you say it, they appear to be more general generalist recruiters. So you look on their website and they do temporary and permanent staffing solutions across what seems to be a, a range of industries. And then there's Absolute IT, which as the name suggests, they, they are they do IT recruitment solutions. And then there is Jackson Stone and Partners. And that seems to be, judging from the news flow, a, a recent acquisition by the company. And they seem to do executive, so I guess C-suite recruitment. So I guess on a, across the scale that I imagine the Jackson Stone part of the business probably does less, does, does less overall, fills less overall positions, but they probably have a, a higher recruitment fees for the positions that they do fill. So there's two ways that companies like this make money. They either charge a placement fee. So if I'm getting paid 50K, for example, and Madsen is putting me into a role, then the company might take a percentage of that 50K that's charged to the to the customer. Um, or they charge people out. So say, for example, there's a carpenter that's working for AWF on one of their clients' construction sites. They might charge that carpenter out, and obviously this is not what a carpenter gets paid, but they might charge the carpenter out at $25 an hour, but pay them 20 as an example. So they make that $5 per hour margin. So recent use in the company, revenues have been quite tepid in the 2019 financial year and they decreased 4.1% to $267 million. And this is some, this decrease is the consequence of some issues in the blue collar sector, so the AWF part of the business essentially. So what you've seen is the closure of a couple of quite significant construction firms so quite significant clients of the construction of of AWF and I think they didn't say it specifically but I think they're referring to Ebert Construction which quite publicly went bankrupt very recently Um, and this has resulted in a decrease of revenues and a a decrease in net profit after tax Um, and what happens in that situation right is if you're a recruiter and a big a big construction company goes bust then what how this works is that a whole a whole bunch of your trade receivables are now dead receivables essentially you're never going to get that money so you have to write that off and that comes off your net profit Um, and also then you've got an issue of a bunch of workers or employees that you've got out there in the field that no longer have jobs so you've got to relocate them or you'll probably lose them as well and I think the company I may have misread this, but it looks like the company ponied up to make make sure those people were looked after, which is obviously in their interest because they're going to be more loyal in the long term. Um, so AWF revenue, that segment fell to $115.8 million, And as I said, that's because big big customers went into receivership and liquidation. They had to write off bad debts. Um, the company also said, and I'm reading directly from company material here, regulatory issues impeded AWF from redeploying migrant workers on guaranteed wages to cities and regions where they were needed at a direct cost of $1.5 million plus lost opportunity margin. So what I'm reading there is that if there was, say, a construction industry that went, a construction company that went bust, a client of theirs, and they wanted to redeploy those guys to different cities, they weren't able to do it because of the laws around immigration and migration. Um, so obviously that was a hindrance to the company. And reading directly here is failures and losses in the construction sector were unprecedented in AWF's history. Bennett said that these 
had affected AWF in two separate ways, with a number of customers unable to pay money owed to AWF, so that's the write-off and receivables, and in addition, company liquidations around the country having left some AWF migrant workers stranded, which is a real shame. You think they would be able to be a solution in, in those sorts of situations. I found it interesting that the failures and losses in the construction sector were unprecedented in the history of AWF. And I find that interesting because I, I'm sure I read in some of the company materials that it was a, some of the toughest market conditions they've seen in 30 years, which seems an extraordinary claim when you consider this company traded through the financial crisis as an example. It doesn't seem to be particularly extraordinary times at the moment, but it's certainly at least these issues have had an effect on AWS business. So I guess the the good part of that statement for shareholders is, is, is that if this is the worst conditions they've seen in 30 years and assuming it doesn't become the worst conditions they've seen in 31 years next year, then you'd have to assume this is some sort of bottom for the company, but I'm not sure. Um, so turning to the balance sheet, um, looking through the, the balance sheet here, um, straight away you, you notice a couple of things, or at least I noticed a couple of things. So... In the asset section, $39 million of goodwill. Um, that implies that they do lots of acquisitions and you know that's that's evident in the different brands that they have. So they're acquiring brands and they have done in the past. I think they required select recruitment in Dunedin recently as well. Um, so that means they've, they've, they've had the growth from acquisitions. Um, second thing, $6.3 million in, in cash there. Actually, going back to the the non current assets, property plant equipment of only three million dollars. So that what what does that tell you? That tells you that recruitment is a relatively capital light business. You don't need a lot of fixed assets, which I always like capital light businesses. Six point three million in cash, thirty two point six million in trade and other receivables. So that's an interesting run, and that sums up recruitment. And that's probably the risk with recruitment companies is the trade and receivables is essentially money that's owed to you by customers. And that money is only good on the balance sheet if the customers actually pay you. So the risk for recruitment companies, and you've seen this with eBook Construction, is that if they go bankrupt or they've got some problems, then suddenly you've got some debts or some receivables that you're not going to recover, um, which obviously <laughs> um, is, is going to impact the business. Moving to the liability side, um, so obviously the the opposite of um, of the receivables is the payables, and that's essentially the money that they owe to, owe to the employees. So the trouble with with that situation, right, is if you've got receivables owned from your customers, and your customer goes bankrupt, you still got the payables as a liability, so you still got to pay the guys, um, and that's the. That's that's the risk with with recruitment. It's great that the capital like businesses. So I mean, there's always risks with businesses, and they're often just found in different parts of the balance sheet. And I guess the risk typically with recruitment companies is in the receivable side. And I guess that that's what separates good recruitment recruiters from bad recruiters is the business that they do. Um, also, you notice on the balance sheet there's thirty three million dollars in debt, and that goes back to what I've said in in relation to the goodwill before is that they've taken on that debt because they've been acquisitive, if that makes sense. So they've taken on the debt to buy other companies. Um, I would say the the debt seems, in my view, relatively high, and it did decrease from 2018. So I suppose you would say that you would like to see that debt further reduced over time. Certainly I would, um, but that, that's just 
you know, my view. So they actually, if you strip out the goodwill, they're actually essentially running on on negative negative equity, um, which is which you know people will freak out at that. But if you think if you've got a business that can produce a lot of cash with negative equity, and we'll get to the cash flow in a minute, then you've probably got quite a good business. Um, next thing, scrolling down the balance sheet, so only five million dollars of retained earnings. Um, so they're not retaining much of their earnings and redistributing into the business. So what that tells you is that they pay most of their earnings out as dividends. And as you know, if you can't think of anything better to do with the, the money, then you should, in, in, in my opinion anyway, <laughs> pay it all out as dividends. And that's that's what we'll get to now in terms of the cash flow. I've got the cash flow statement here in front of me. So receipts from customers, $275 million. Payments to suppliers, employees, $262 million. Then there's interest received and interest paid and, and everything like that. And in the last... In the 2019, the cash flow from operations was 9.4 million. So, not bad when you think about it. If you think about, it, you've got a 57 million dollar company that's generated 9.4 million in in cash flow from operations, and this company's at what they've described as an, an unprecedented time for their business at a sort of a, a 30 year, the most difficult conditions they've received in 30 years, but they're still generating 9.4 million in in operating cash flow. Then it's sort of showing you that the business is still okay, fundamentally, basically, is what I'm saying. Um, they don't need to spend too much on property, plant, and equipment. Um, one point six million in the last financial year, only four, nearly five hundred thousand, only five hundred thousand in the year before. So higher this year, but you you just you think about it, right? Like I said, they've only got three million dollars in property, plant, and equipment. You can't imagine there's too much in the way of capital expenditures there. Um, so basically, you, you've got your cash from cash from operations minus a small amount of capital expenditures. It is a company that's that's spitting out the cash, which is what we like to see. Um, and then they've purchased some intangible assets as well. So the purchase of intangible assets, I assume, is them buying some more businesses. Now, go go down going down to cash flow from finance and activities. I always think this is a really important part of the. Of the financial statements, um, proceeds from issue of share capital. I've written on my notes here that on the notes above this that this is rubbish. They've they've gone and issued some more some more shares and and got proceeds in there one and a half million, and then they've gone out and paid dividends for, of five point four million. So what they've essentially done is they've gone, we're going to issue some more shares for some money, and then we're going to so going to their shareholders for more money. It's like, can we have some more money? And then they've gone, we'll, we'll pay out some, we'll, we'll pay some back as, as dividends. It's, it, it sort of seems a bit silly for me. And you see New Zealand companies doing it all the time because they're so terrified of, of cutting their dividend. You know, why would you, well, why would I give money to you today so you can pay it back to me tomorrow if you don't need to? It, it, it doesn't make much sense. Why not just reduce the, and, the the downside of 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 issuing share capital like that is that you dilute everyone else. So the you're all diluted as as a shareholder. So there's more shares outstanding and you own a less of an overall percentage of the company. So why not just say to the market, look, we're cutting our dividend and this is the reason why. Because we want to use the money for something else. You know, <laughs> yes, there might be some people that freak out and sell down the shares because of that, but over the long term, you're going to have a stronger. It's going to be better for shareholders, um, 
and so anyway, they paid they paid out five point four million in dividends. Like I said, nine and a half percent dividend yield. Um, I think that dividend should have been less last year, personally, but it looks like they're hell-bent on maintaining it. So at the end of the day, the the investment thesis here for, oh, and sorry, next line down, they've repaid some borrowings, but I've already touched on that. So I would like to see, okay, let, let's start with the investment thesis if you're looking at AWF. So I guess the investment thesis is that if this is an unprecedented time, 30-year low for the company, so to speak, then not necessarily 30 year low for the shares, mind you. But if this is an unprecedented time for the company and that would sort of assume that there's better times ahead, then you'd have to imagine that at some point the market would want to revalue that dividend. And even if they revalued it to a to a 6% dividend yield, for example, then suddenly you're looking at a share price of two dollars seventy three, and you collect the dividends in the meantime, and it, well, we're one dollar seventy today or whatever we were, and that that I guess is the is the real upside. Um, personally, like I said, I think they've got too much debt. I think it would be thirty three million dollars, thirty million dollars of debt for for a company. I, I don't think they need to have that much debt. You'd love to see that pay them, them pay that down. I mean, imagine if they were able to to pay all their free cash flow to shareholders as a dividend, say ten million dollar dividend, and based based off a ten million dollar dividend, that would mean a, a share price of um, three point four one on a on a nine and a half percent dividend yield. Which is is again a massive revaluation from a dollar seventy, and a six percent yield would mean a, sh- a share price of four dollars ninety nine, and you know that's obviously a long way off, and it'll probably never happen because they've got to pay down an awful lot of, of debt. But you know, imagine if they were to eliminate that debt and just focus on paying dividends to their shareholders, and you you'd see a massive revaluation of the stock price up to, and and that's what management, in my view, need to consider. When they when they maybe doing the next acquisition, saying, "Hold on, are we better off just paying off some debt here? Because is is this are we are we going to be able to generate the same share the same share value for for our for our holders? I'm not sure. Um, talking about the holders, um, there's there's some pretty big holders there. So it looks like the founder of AWF, um, he owns. 52% of the company um, so pretty much when you own 52% of the a publicly traded company what you say is go so he, he may have different views to what they should do with the debt than what I do um, Simon Bennett is the CEO he owns a, a small a small number of shares in the top 20 shareholders interesting other things I picked up on just looking at the um, shareholders there is is Kevin Hickman who I believe is the founder of Roman Healthcare, he is a reasonable holding in the company as well, so I thought that was interesting. Um, but yeah, AWF, interesting company. Um, big, strong cash flows, the, the stock's been beaten down, the business is, is at a bit of a, a low, but y- you have to imagine that it wouldn't take much to see a revaluation in, in the shares upwards. I'd, I'd like to see maybe some smarter capital allocation and maybe a bit more of a focus on the long term in terms of the debt repayments and and maybe a, you know not not issuing shares just so you can pay a dividend I'd, I'd like to see a bit of a change there but we'll have to see how it goes but certainly an interesting company the next company I'll talk about is Michael Hill International so they trade on the NZX and the ASX under the ticker code MHJ and chances are you're you're probably familiar with with Michael Hill if you've ever been to a shopping mall or walked down a 
high street anywhere in New Zealand. So they have a market cap of just over 200 million and she is an issue of 387 million, nearly 388 million. Um, last traded price was 52 cents a share. Dividend, again, like AWF, we're talking a big dividend here, over over 10%. Um, so it'll be inter- interesting to see whether that's sustainable. I would say based off their historic cash flows, I, I would say it, it probably is. So same 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 sort of deal. When you, If you see a company that's trading with a 10% dividend yield in the current market, one of two things is the case. Either the business has been underperforming or or not performing that well and the market has decided to sell it down to a 10% yield or the market doesn't believe that the 10% yield is maintainable. So I'd say more more likely than not, the 10% yield will be maintainable in this point for, for Michael Hill. Um, it's just whether the, the business, how the business performance does. So I'm reading right off the, um, off the trading update, trading update here. I've just lost it on the screen actually. Um, so they, they came out with a trading update to the 30th of June 2019. So they've said there's continued sales performance momentum in the fourth quarter um, against the prior year same store sales were flat at an increase of 0.1% and total store sales were down 0.8% so for the fourth quarter so anytime you see a company increase its same store sales but decrease its overall sales that means that there has to be some store closures in there so it looks like they've been closing some stores um They've said that that it, it's some positive momentum and sales momentum in the in the right direction. They put the numbers here. So, Q one, eleven percent same store sales decrease. Q two, a two point nine percent same store sales decrease. Q three, a one point five percent same store sales decrease. And now Q four, a same store sales increase. I wonder if that's just because they're eliminating some poor performing stores and now the same store sales are, <laughs> are improving. I suspect that's probably the case. Um, so they're saying that that full year two thousand nineteen sales have uh, have, have stabilised. Um, so cumulative same store sales continue to recover throughout the year. Active in- inventory management program. Um, I imagine as with any retailer, you know the first thing you look at is same store sales, but then inventories as well. Especially a, a, I guess a company like Michael Hill, where you know fashions are relatively important so fashions change you know you've got a hot product one minute and it's next minute it's not and if you order too much of it when it's a hot product and when it's not and it, and it starts not selling then suddenly you've got some inventory that's that's dead in inventory so they, they've said that they've had a deliberate focus to reduce inventory against the prior year closing levels and they've seen improved working capital and a cleansing of age dash off-range stock that's exactly what i said before with some impact on gross margin this has enabled the introduction of newness in the retail operating model on a monthly basis. And I guess that's relatively important. So margin compression continues. They said gross margins experienced some compression due to the competitive retail environment and related clearance activity. Ongoing FX headwinds impacting cost of goods and sector consolidation, which saw full-year gross margin of 61.1% compared against 62.8% for the prior year. So obviously that, that decrease flows straight through to the bottom line. I mean, FX headwinds, sometimes you're going to have FX tailwinds, so I don't get too stressed out about that. Um, competitive retail environment, yes, um, obviously a competitive retail environment. Um, 
I'd say that's nothing new to the company. I imagine if you asked them 10 years ago if the retail environment was competitive, they would say yes. If you asked them 20 years ago, they would say yes. Um, we'd love to get Michael Hill on the podcast, by the way. Um, Sir Michael Hill, I believe. That would be like the, the dream podcast guest. Um, the Hill family still own, I, I think, 48% of the company. Um, so it would be, you know, and, and it's a fantastic story. So I'd love to absolutely to get him on the podcast maybe you know michael hill maybe you work with michael hill maybe if there's if there's some way of making that happen anyone out there maybe you are michael hill maybe michael hill's listening right now um if, if you are michael hill feel free to 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 get in touch um and reach out and we'll love to love to set up a, a, a date for the podcast i'm not like that that skinny ad on tv where it's like it's ben affleck from dunedin or whatever i, I want the real michael hill um anyway so e-commerce sales continues to grow. Um, Full-year e-commerce sales resu- result of $16 million, um, an increase of 43.6%, now represents 2.8% of total sales compared to 1.9% in the prior year. be interesting to see how high this gets, um, what percentage of sales in the long term become e-commerce. I think in some ways... You'd almost rather, from Michael Hill's perspective, that they can't get the e-commerce sales up, because that would really prove that the concept of selling wedding rings and jewellery online is possible. You know, I, I sort of think if you want to buy a, an important piece of jewellery or, or a wedding ring, chances are you want to go into the store and see it and pick it out and everything like that. So, if it gets to the stage where it can easily be replicated, that experience can easily be replicated online and people are comfortable buying online and you'd have to think that that would be a net negative for the Michael Hill business because then suddenly you'd have all this new online competition with you know, people being prepared to buy it online whereas I think their store network is, and their branding of the store network is a real advantage. So I, I, would, I would watch that number. Um, obviously if, if they turn into a, a great e-commerce company as well then fantastic. Um, Branded collection sales increased. Um, I'm not sure what they refer to by branded collections. I'm assuming that means product that is unique to Michael Hill. Um, and it said represented 32.5% of total product sales. So if that's their own brand, um, fantastic. I mean, the, the more branded sales, the better pretty much. Uh, when you've got your own brand, you can't get it anywhere else, then you, you'd have to suspect that that is better for competition and probably higher margin as well. Decisive store portfolio management. I, I don't even have to um, read that to, to know what they're trying to say there. Um, I will read it though just quickly. So basically decisive store portfolio management is a nice way of saying they're closing stores. Um, so 10 new stores were open and 11 underperforming stores were closed. There you go. Five With five Emma and Rose stores during the year, giving a total of 306 stores. So yeah, that's exactly what's happening. Um, some quotes here. Even though we are experiencing an extremely competitive retail environment, particularly in Australia, seems like with Michael Hill that you know <laughs> they're never they're never firing on all cylinders. Like the New Zealand business will be going extremely well, but the Australian one will be not doing so well. The next year, the Canadian one's not doing so well, but the Australian one's pumping. Or and you, you know, you, do, you, do you know what I mean? And they never seem to be able to fire on on all cylinders. But I guess you know that. It helps that they are diversified. Um, intensive competitor clearance-related activities and lower foot traffic. The company 
has continued to deliver improved sales momentum for the fourth quarter. To deliver our fourth quarter result and remain competitive, we did experience margin compression in the quarter, so basically they're having to reduce prices to to keep the sales. Um, While we've seen some of our competitors responding with deep discounting and store closures, Michael Hill is now well positioned to head into 2020. We have actively maintained our overall inventory holdings below prior year levels. This deliberate choice to focus on aged inventory has positioned us well for the introduction of our new integrated customer-led retail operating model. That is a mouthful. <laughs> I'll say that again. New integrated custom, a new integrated customer-led retail operating model. And underpinned what goes on, underpinned by regular product newness in our stores. So basically they're going to be introducing some new product. Furthermore, our e-commerce business has continued to grow at a significant rate with annual sales more than double that of our largest physical store. So when I did that warehouse tour the other day, that was actually one of the things they said in the tour. They said, this is essentially, we consider this a store. The When we're in the e-commerce section where they're packing all the goods and everything like this. And they said, this essentially operates in the same way as a store, but it's not laid out as a store. Um, so... Essentially, e-commerce is already their largest physical store, so fascinating that. Over the course of 2020, we continue to invest in the important future growth channel for the group. In addition, our increased focus on our uniquely differentiated product has lifted the branded collection sales mix to new heights, with the introduction of a number of new exclusive bridal collections. So again, you know, you, I think as a, if, you, if you're a shareholder, you, you'd want them to have as much exclusive stuff as possible um that that's a a real competitive advantage and it's not like people buy if you if you're buying good quality jewelry you know if you want to buy some plastic stuff a bit different but if you're buying like a (laughs) you don't really take the low bid on a wedding ring if that makes sense you know if if you're getting married or whatever you're not (laughs) people don't cheap out on it so having exclusive product is is is, is a big thing because you can't get it anywhere else as our strategic initiatives and customer-led retail operating model, there it goes again, continue to unfold, and with the full-strength leadership team now, now in place, they're excited for the year ahead. They, they want to grow market share. Um, yeah, so an interesting update from Mocker Hill. It, it, they've had a tough time of it. Um, they've, they've closed down some stores. Be interesting to see. I think that it is a relatively, it is a company that, that follows the economic cycle, Um you know, if 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 things are slowing down, then maybe you're prepared to put off buying some new earrings for for a little while, as an example. Um, good to see same store sales stabilizing. Um, interesting to see what they do with store closures. Um, just looking at the 2018 for year ended 30th of June, they had 50 just under 55 million from cash from operating activities. Um, then they had 24 million in in capex. And then they paid a dividend of nineteen million. So it looks like there's room there to continue paying the dividend. Um, if the business is able to turn around, similar to AWF, you'd expect to see some revaluation in that stock at some point. Pesos. They trade on the NZX under the ticker code PYS. It's a company that we've been talking about for a while now on the podcast. Um, ever since we had the CEO, I think, back on episode. 40 Asanta he came on the pod he came on the podcast and we did an interview so listen back to that if you want to find out a little bit more about the company so there's been quite a, a bit of news flow from 
pay source of of late. Um, first thing I, I saw when I was just looking through the announcements was that they've announced that the clients of Clary Wealth Management have made a $1.5 million investment in the company. So that's not a $1.5 million investment in the sense that they've gone and bought shares of someone else and just have a a passive holding in the company, what they've done is that's been through what looks like a convertible note. So essentially, they've given Paysource some money that sits on the balance sheet as a convertible note, and they can convert that into stock at a later date. In the meantime, that gets paid as interest, if that makes sense. So $1.5 million at a valuation, enterprise value of $60 million. Um, what they've what they've said is that the in, the note will accrue interest at eleven percent per annum, rising to thirteen point five percent if growth targets should be missed. Um, and that that seems like a it seems like something that will work out well for both parties. Hopefully, so obviously eleven percent per annum. Um, that's what they 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 get, and they get to convert it later later on. Hopefully, at a if the the stock is worth a lot more than sixty million dollars, they make a good return there. Um, it's probably a reasonable interest rate for PaySource as well. If you think about where they're at at their stage in their, I guess, life cycle as a company, they're still at, at early stages, still developing the product, not yet cash flow positive or anything like that. So, you know, you'd, you'd be surprised if if they're able to get better interest rates elsewhere. And there might I'm not sure what Clary's involvement is, but there might be other ways they can add value as well. Um, what they've said is that rises to 13.5% should agreed growth targets be missed. They haven't published what those growth targets are. It would be actually quite interesting to see what those what those growth targets were. I'm not, I'm not sure if we will find out. Maybe it's just a, a, a private agreement, a, agreement there. Um and the other big big piece of news that that came out around the same time is that is that there would be the share consolidation, um, and I think we've spoken in the past how due to the because they did that reverse listing on the NZX they had an awful lot of shares outstanding. I think the most on the NZX, as Santa said, and that basically made trading in the stock impractical, at, at least in my view. You know, you couldn't reasonably. <laughs> you could, it, it was it was just it was, it was just impractical having five point eight billion shares. So they've consolidated that down to one hundred and sixteen million. Um, so it's a fifty to one reverse split, and I think that's a good thing. Um, it means that the 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 market will be able to accurately value the stock going forward. I suspect, and I've got no way of proving this. I suspect it'll have a short term negative impact on their share price, um, but. Essentially, over the long term, it it doesn't actually make a difference how many shares you got out outstanding. You know the <laughs> the company's not going to succeed or failure ba- or fail based on their share count. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised if it has a short term negative impact because now some people will be looking at right rightly or wrong wrongly. They'll they'll wake up in the morning. They'll go, oh, this is worth forty cents a share now, and they'll look to sell down if that makes sense um the more meaningful news that came out during the week was that they provided their, their second quarter market update 
Um, so the headline is pay source grows recurring revenue by 120%, customer numbers by 118%, and gross payroll processed by 133%. So numbers all over 100%, which is I think what you what you want for a company that's valued at the, the valuation that they are, they, they need to be, and where they are in the cycle. You'd expect those sorts of growth numbers, but it's still great that they've delivered them. Um, so they maintain a strong year-on-year growth tra- trajectory. Um, total recurring revenue is up 120 percent. The to- the number of employees in New Zealand New Zealand receiving their pay through the pay source pay source payroll software has increased by 123 percent to just under 10,000 people. With pay slips issued up. 115 percent to 68,000 or nearly 60 69,000 um so those those are obviously two key metrics i think especially the number of employees receiving their pay through the payroll software you you want to see that continuing to increase because at the end of the day these sorts of companies are quite simple You, you take the number of people that's receiving their pay slip and you multiply it by the 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 number of dollars per pay slip and you know you figure out how the company's doing um, so it's it's quite simple. Um, the gross payroll value processed by pay source for the quarter totaled one hundred and eight million. So they're starting to become a more more significant company, which is which is great for, for everyone following it. Um, the CEO said the highlights highlights the quarter's key milestones. It's been a frantic but extremely rewarding quarter, ticking off several big milestones such as our first ever annual report hitting 2,000 live processing customer mark and processing over 150, 100 million of payroll for NZ SMEs. I'm incredibly grateful for all the hard work put in by the team and am truly proud of our continued success as a growing SaaS business. So good to have another SaaS business on the market as well. They put a couple of charts in the report. Now, Santa on the podcast, I believe, he he said that, because I, I originally when I was looking at PaySource, I felt that the sequential growth should have been stronger, um, and by sequential I mean the quarter, the, the the quarter, each quarter following the previous one should be significantly more, um, because just of the the early stage nature that they're at, and if you looked at the total revenue for Q four eighteen to Q one nineteen, there was only it was it was pretty much flat, um, and Asanta explained that that was due to seasonality, and then. That's turned out to be correct because it was a significant jump from Q one nineteen to Q two nineteen, and same on employees using the service. So, yeah, some good some good numbers from PaySource there. You'd you'd expect it relative to the valuation that the market's given them. Um, you you'd want to see some continuation in that growth. It'd be really interesting to see how they utilize the investment of one point five million that they've got. Um, and hopefully that will will drive future growth. I'm sure they've got some some plans for it, um, and that's how you assess the quality of management as well. Um, is 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 what they do with with those with with that sort of cash injection. Um, I'm following a situation on the ASX at the moment where management has basically squandered every cash injection they have. So let's hope that's not the case with Paysource. Let's hope that they continue this significant growth. Um, it's still significant growth of a very small base um so you know obviously they can't keep up 100 percent growth forever but i think they do need to keep it up for the for the for the at least for the short-term future um and it'll be interesting to see how they use this 1.5 million so thanks for listening that's all we have 
time for. I hope you enjoyed what was a largely unscripted <laughs> podcast today. It was a bit different to what I've I've done at least in recent times and you know, I, I do apologise for maybe some of the stuttering and the ums and the ahs and the clicking and the rustling that was going on in, in the background. Um, so as a reminder that nothing that I see today should be considered financial advice. If you're looking to find out more about the podcast, go to stopmarketmovers.co.nz or find us and give it a like by searching on Facebook and, and Twitter as well. Go to the website and check out the blog as well. It's a new thing I'm doing. And if you want to email me, it is jeremy at stockmarketmovers.co.nz. Once again, my name is Jeremy Medlin, and this has been episode 48 of the Stock Market Movers podcast for Friday the 12th of July, 2019. We'll see you all again next week.